the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. We can say, "Ah, I don't see how the Lord could ever forgive me of this. Or I'm sure the Lord's angry with me about this. Or I'm sure that I'm on the outs or whatever that feeling is you might have. Or, or someone might say, I don't think the Lord could forgive somebody. and just I don't think it's right to just pardon somebody of all of their sins just because they, they turn from and they, they clean up their lives and they turn to God and they get religious or whatever. Hey, his ways aren't our ways. He doesn't deal with it the same way you and I would deal with it. He doesn't treat it the same way that you and I would treat it. God hates sin. It saddens him in a way we can never understand. If you're a parent, imagine your child unwittingly falling into a trap, and you know it will destroy them, but they've been deceived into thinking everything's fine. As Pastor Dan explains in today's message, God's grace is immeasurable. It defies our understanding and reason. Even the absolute worst of sinners has potential in God's eyes. He looks at them with compassion and longs for them to be awakened to His grace and freed from their sin. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Here again, he's talking about the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish nations, and he says, you know, they are a a nation that that God didn't know, and they were people who didn't know God. You know, in in Romans, Paul calls the Gentiles uh, a people who weren't a people, a nation who weren't really a nation. And Here he says of the Gentiles that the Gentile nations will run to the Lord for salvation. Uh, And here's speaking of Jesus Christ. They're going to run to Jesus Christ for salvation, which for the most part is true. You know, it's, it's primarily Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ. There's a remnant of Jews who are coming to faith in Christ, but primarily it's Gentiles. It says, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, the Holy One of Israel. That's a name for Jesus Christ, a title for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ glorified the Father. And so in turn, the Father glorified the Son. Now look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, this is said with a sense of urgency, like there's a time limit here, like this opportunity is going to run out. This opportunity is going to expire. And here the Lord is speaking to the non-believer. The Lord's speaking to the backslider. And the Lord is saying, you know, seek the Lord while you have the time. Seek the Lord while you have the opportunity. Don't delay. Don't don't put it off. 
And verse 6 seems to imply that there may come a time when a non-believer or that backslider seeks the Lord but can't find him. Or calls upon him and the Lord will not hear his prayer. That, that the door will shut at some point. The door of salvation will be closed. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And here Jesus tells a parable. And he tells this parable of, of a great supper. Where God essentially closed the door to those who spurned his invitation to come to the supper. In verse 16, Jesus speaking, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. So they were previously invited. They know that the meal, the dinner is coming up. Now it's time for the dinner party. And now they start making excuses of why they can't go. And the first one said to him, well, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, you would never buy a piece of property without seeing it first. <laughs> this is just an excuse, right? And then verse 19, and another said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Again, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first. You would test the yoke of oxen before you purchase them. It's just an excuse. And verse 20, I think, is the best of all here. Uh, another said, I have married a wife, <laughs> therefore I cannot come. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> I'm married now. I just, I can't go. <laughs> so that servant came and reported those things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And of the ser- and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. The doors closed for those that were invited. They had their opportunity and they made excuses. And now that door's closed and the Lord's moved on to other people who are willing to come. And so going back to Isaiah 55, uh, you know, verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Don't don't put it off. Don't put it off because you may not have another opportunity. You don't know when that door is going to close. Now, look at verse seven. Verse seven says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. So this is an invitation that the Lord gives, and it's an invitation to the wicked and the unrighteous, not the holy and the perfect. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad it does not say, tell the holy, tell the perfect to come? God invites the wicked. He invites the unrighteous to receive his forgiveness and salvation. In Romans chapter 5, it says that Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. You know, I, I remember, um, I'm not even sure if I was a, a born-again Christian at, the, at this point, but I remember reading that in Romans 5, and it just struck me. For the first time, I really th- 
you know, before that, before I became a Christian at 26, and before that, I thought just really, really good people were Christians. Very moral people, very pure people, very holy people. And I remember reading that in Romans 5, that he died for the ungodly. And it just struck me. Because I thought he died for the godly, right? Uh, but he died for the ungodly, not the godly. You know, it goes on to say in Romans 5 that Christ died for sinners. You know, that he's a physician for the sick. He didn't come to call the righteous. You know, the healthy have no need of a physician, Jesus said. I've come for the sick. He didn't call, come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners, broken people, to call them to repentance. And that's what's described here in verse 7, this call to repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord uh, before the wicked man can return to the Lord and receive salvation from the Lord. He must first forsake his ways. That's repentance. He must change his mind about his lifestyle and the way that he's living. And the unrighteous man, he needs to forsake his unrighteous thoughts. Isn't that interesting? His thoughts. So much of our, our sinning takes place in our thoughts, in our imagination. You know, we can, we can get, you know, we can get the outside of the cup pretty clean and still have filthiness on the inside of the cup. And what did Jesus say? You got to clean the inside of the cup, too, for the cup to be clean. You can't just have the outside of the cup clean. You got to clean the inside for it to be clean. And we can we can have our own little imagination, our own little world going on in our minds that nobody knows about where we're sinning in our thought life. And here he says to the unrighteous, hey, you've got to forsake your unrighteous thought life, your unrighteous imagination. You know, the New Testament tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And then you can return to the Lord and receive his salvation. And look what it says at the end of verse 7. And he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Who? The wicked and the unrighteous. God will have mercy on the wicked and the unrighteous who repent and return to the Lord, and he will abundantly pardon them. And it doesn't matter how wicked or how unrighteous a person may be, if they, if they turn from their wicked ways and their unrighteous ways and return to the Lord, he will have mercy on them and pardon all of their sins. You know, when uh, David, if you know David's story, uh, when you think of David, you probably think of David and Goliath, but you also probably think of David and Bathsheba. Those are kind of the two things he's known for. When David, David, if you know the story, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Uh, and then after Uriah was killed in battle, he took Bathsheba as his wife to make himself look like this good man who takes care of the widow of one of his fallen soldiers. Uh, and then when David was finally confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan, David confessed his sins and David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And in the very same verse, the very same verse, when David said, I have sinned against the Lord, the prophet Nathan said, and your sins are forgiven you. It's one sentence in your Bible. I have sinned against the Lord. Your sins are forgiven you. It's automatic. It's automatic with the Lord. 
We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Nathan didn't say to David, I don't know, David, I mean, come on, adultery and murder? I don't know if God can forgive that. No, David said, I've sinned. And Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. It's automatic with the Lord. The moment that we turn from our sins, that we turn from our wicked ways and confess our sins to the Lord, he abundantly pardons us of all of our sin. (laughs) Or, you know, I think of the story, too, in the New Testament of the prodigal son. And remember how the father just watched and waited for his son to come back so that he could forgive him and restore him. He was waiting for him. The dad was watching and waiting just so he could forgive him and restore him back to the family to abundantly pardon him so he could show him mercy and pardon him for the things that he had done. And that's what it's saying here to the wicked and to the unrighteous. They forsake their ways and return to the Lord. He will have mercy on them and he will abundantly pardon them. And some people might think, well, wait a minute. I don't think God can forgive me of my sins after all the things that I've done wrong. As bad as they are, I don't think he can forgive me. Or others might think, well, it's just not right to pardon the wicked. The wicked should be punished. The wicked should be punished for what they do. They should be punished for their wickedness. It's not right to just forgive them. Maybe you've heard something like that. Maybe you've heard, I've had somebody say to me, are you telling me somebody could be this rotten scoundrel? And they use different words than that. Their whole life and then just before they die, they repent of their sins and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and all of their sins are forgiven. They're just forgiven after living this horrible, rotten, ungodly, wicked life. And God just forgives them. The people that think that. And so because of that, look at verse eight. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, our, the way that we think about sin and the way that we for, think about forgiveness, God doesn't think the same way as we do. God doesn't think the same way that we do when it comes to the forgiveness of sins. His way of dealing with sin is not like how we would deal with sin. That's what he's saying here. You know, our, our way, uh, he's telling us here, our, our way is not even close to his way. You know, he's, he tells us the distance between His way and our way is like the distance between the end of the universe and the earth. That's how far apart we can be. And and so we can we can say, "Ah, I don't see how the Lord could ever forgive me of this. Or I'm sure the Lord's angry with me about this. Or I'm sure that I'm on the outs or whatever that feeling is you might have. Or, Or someone might say, I don't think the Lord could forgive somebody. And just I don't think it's right to just pardon somebody of all of their sins just because they they turn from and they, they clean up their lives and they turn to God and they get religious or whatever. Hey, his ways aren't our ways. He doesn't deal with it the same way you and I would deal with it. He doesn't treat it the same way that you and I would treat it. 
Now look at verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. Now, the immediate context of these verses is what the Lord just said to us about pardoning sin, pardoning sinners. If, if we forsake our wicked ways and our unrighteousness and return to him, he's saying here, you know, my promise to pardon and forgive and have mercy, those are not empty promises. That's not an empty invitation that I'm extending to everyone who's thirsty. I really will forgive. I really will pardon. I really will have mercy. So that's that's the kind of the immediate context of these verses here. But but these verses also have a much wider application, a much wider context. And I love just what these verses say about the power and ability of the word of God. In these verses, the Lord compares his word uh, to rain and snow that waters the earth and causes life and causes growth. And he says here in the same way that his word goes forth from his mouth and it doesn't return void. And he says here that the word that goes forth from his mouth produces fruit. It produces life. It produces growth in us. It accomplishes God's will in our lives. It, it prospers wherever God send it, sends it. It's, it's profitable. Remember in the New Testament, 2 Timothy the Apostle Paul talked about how all scripture is inspired of God and it's profitable for us. And he talks about how it's profitable. It, it profits us. It prospers us. And here in verses 10 and 11. The Lord tells us just the, the, the power and ability of the word of God and what the word of God, God does. Just all on its own, just like rain or snow and how rain can water the soil and cause a seed to grow and cause life to come forth. And, and you know, we don't, you know, we don't fully understand how, how a seed knows that it's got the right amount of soil and the right temperature and the right amount of moisture. Just, it all just comes together. It's just programmed into the DNA of the seed that when the water hits it and the moisture and the temperature and the soil, and all of it, that it just produces life. It just does it. You know, over, over in the Middle East, in, uh, in Egypt, archaeologists have found uh, date seeds from date palms uh, that were over 2,000 years old. They were dormant, completely dried out. They planted these date seeds in the soil and watered them, and they grew. After 2,000 years, like all of that programming, the DNA stuff was just in there, just waiting for the right conditions. And once there were the right conditions, life. And he says here, the word of God's like that. It's like the rain that comes down. It waters the earth. And, it, and when it just hits the right person, the right heart that receives the word, man, it just produces life. It produces growth. It just does. It's just, it's just what the word of God does all on its own. It's just in there. Somehow. It's, just, it's just programmed in there somehow to produce life. You know, this, these verses are a handful. You know, there's a handful of verses in the Bible that are, um, kind of core verses for our church 
that shape our approach to ministry. And if you've, if you've ever wondered, like, why, why do we just kind of go straight through the Bible? Sunday mornings, we're just going through the New Testament verse by verse. Thursday nights, we're going through the Old Testament verse by verse. Our different, you know, ministries that we have, the home groups, the men's group, the women's Bible study, uh, the children's ministry, like all of it is centered around the word of God. And if you've ever wondered why this is, this is kind of all that we do or why we do this the way that we do it, it's because God promises here that his word will never return void and that it always bears fruit. And I can't really say that about anything else. Other things that we could be doing, other approaches, other methods, other activities we could be doing, they might bear fruit or they might not. They might hit the mark or they might return void. It's hit or miss with anything else. Any, anything, any program that we come up with, it's going to be hit or miss. But the word of God, it never returns void. It's always on the mark. It's always a hit. It's always going to bear fruit in a person's life. You know, even, even in my approach to teaching the word, um, I, don't, I don't open my sermons with stories or jokes. I don't use a lot of illustrations. Uh, I, don't, I don't use movies. Uh, that's all by design. I could do that stuff. I know how to do that stuff. I know where to go to get that stuff. But my confidence is in the word of God. It's in the word of God. Those other things might return back void, might not bear fruit. But I know as a pastor, as a shepherd who has to give an account to God, for myself and for you one day, that as long as I'm putting the word of God out there, then it's the word of God. And it's just the word of God. And the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And the word of God accomplishes God's will in people's lives. It prospers wherever God sends it. It doesn't return void. All of the other stuff, the illustrations, the jokes, the movie clips, eh, that might return void. Might hit, but it might not. But I know with the word, it's always going to hit the mark. And I and I personally believe the word of God all on its own is enough. That I, I don't I don't have to add anything to it. I don't need to help it out. I don't need to dress it up. Just here's what it says. And so that's why we just kind of simply just kind of go through the Bible uh, and let the Bible do what the Bible does. He asked me how I know and I say bring true We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. 
Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth.